This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. What a great thing. What a great thing. We were created to what? Yeah, you got it. If you walk away from here this morning and you understand that, not just up here, but you understand it down here, you get it. And you embrace it and you leave this place this morning um, geared up and ready to do that, then uh, I believe that God will have accomplished His purpose in your life for being here this morning. I just want to say welcome to New Life. Welcome to church, especially if this is your first time to New Life or maybe your first time to church in a long time. Welcome. It's that way every Sunday morning at New Life. There are always people in our audience who uh, haven't been to church in a long time. There are always people who haven't ever been here. So uh, my name is Ron, and uh, I just want to give you a very special welcome. We are on the beginning of uh, a journey, a spiritual journey. Uh, God has led us in the last couple of years to go on a couple of spiritual journeys each year. And uh, a spiritual journey is like any other journey you take. Uh, it takes preparation, it takes some forethought, it takes some planning, uh, it takes some stick to stay there, uh, and hopefully on the other end of it, the reason that you took the journey you will have accomplished. Um, I, I have a journey that I want to take in this coming year. My younger brother has challenged me. He's 17 years younger than I am, so he's a young whippersnapper with lots of energy and all that stuff. And he said to me, hey, you old duffer, how about hiking Half Dome with me? Oh, so there you go. That's my journey for the coming year, which means you will be seeing less of me, I'm sure. And that's probably a great thing. And so it's going to take some planning and preparation and conditioning and all those sorts of things to go hike Half Dome with him. And I'm looking forward to that because it'll be good for me. That's, that's a great it's a great journey here, and I'm looking forward to the beautiful scenery that we're going to see and the vistas that we're going to, ha- that we're going to share together on the way, and I'm looking forward to, to being with him because I don't get to be with him very often. Well, in the same way that a physical journey has its rewards and, and its challenges, a spiritual journey has its reward and its challenges as well. And uh, so let me talk to you for just a minute about the spiritual journey we're on. Uh, For the next four weeks, we're going to be working our way through a sermon series called I Worship. You could probably figure that out. And uh, this was a a spiritual journey born of prayer and fasting and, and not certainly coincidentally, not just a time of prayer in my life, uh, but a time of prayer in the life of Justin, our worship leader, and uh, in the life of a good friend of many of us here who is a wonderful spiritual leader in this church, uh, Gordon McGee. And uh, as God began to lay on all of our hearts this journey of, of taking the church on the spiritual journey called I Worship. So for the next, this Sunday and the three following Sundays, we're going to be looking at uh, four different aspects of worship. This morning as you leave, you're going to be given the opportunity to get one of these. It's a it's called 21 Days of Worship, and it's a devotional guide. There are 21 different daily devotionals in here. And uh, for instance, the devotional for tomorrow, the very first one, is a devotional on God's presence. 
and how to be aware of God's presence and how to heighten your awareness of God's presence because it's pretty difficult to worship if you're sort of unaware of God's presence because worship is really a connection between God and His people as you'll see as we work through the morning. So I want to encourage you to, to take one of these. Um, if, if you've got a spouse that can't be here this morning, take one for your spouse. I know Monica and I are going to go through this together. And uh, that's become uh, a thing that we look forward to every time the church goes on a spiritual journey. Uh, we set aside a special time every single day that we meet, and we go over it together. We pray through the devotional together, read through it together. Uh, and it's a great thing for us. It's good for our marriage, and it's uh, certainly as good for our souls and our spirits. So there it is, a 21-day devotional guide. Um, let me tell you this. If you're, if you're a commuter and it's a little more difficult but you're, uh, you're up on all the latest technology, you can actually tune into the website and you can get it in podcast form. And so it's going to be on the website and the podcasts are recorded by uh, different pastors from the church. I know I recorded the, the prelude or whatever they call it, the forward and the first four uh, just this last week. So tomorrow morning you can pull up the podcast and uh, I'll read it to you and make a few comments and, and sort of guide you through it. So uh, maybe that's what you want to do. But it's out there in a number of different forms. Um, so that's that. Now, um, October the 11th. Again, I, want you, I, I gave you this date last week, but I want you to write it in the margin of your notes again this week. Because on October the 11th, Sunday evening, 6 o'clock, right here, we're going to have a service that you don't want to miss. It's, it's going to be, as I told you last week, what was a multi-sensory worship experience. And uh, it's just going to be a great evening. You're going to walk in. The auditorium will be set up different than you've ever seen it before. And it's going to be designed around helping you and me have just a fantastic evening of nothing but just connecting with God. I'm not going to stand up here and teach on worship. Nobody's going to stand up here and teach on worship. We're just going to experience it. And if we've been working through this for 21 days straight, you know, we're going to be amped up and geared up and ready for that evening. And, and I know that our worship team is already um, working on that evening, and it's going to be a fantastic time together. So from 6 to 7.30 or a little beyond, I'm sure, um, you come prepared for a great evening of worship. And so that's the spiritual journey that, that God has us on. Now, let me, let me show you the goal of the journey that we're on. And here it is. If you've been coming the last few weeks, I know that you're going to recognize this verse. It's James chapter 4, verse 8. What does it say? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. You realize what an amazing thing that is? Just a while ago, on that same video screen, you saw the mayor of our city uh, talking at last year's spring clean. I cannot give you a promise that says, draw near to Mayor Torliot and she will draw near to you. Okay? The chances are pretty good that she won't. Not because she's not a nice person, but she has very limited time. Okay? I can't give you a promise that says, draw near to President Obama and he will draw near to you. Because he also has very limited time. But the fact that the God who created the heavens and the earth 
And the God who is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving and gracious and kind and forgiving, the fact that God says to you, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Can I tell you the, the, the central purpose of this journey together is that you and I might draw near to God. God will draw near to us. And in the process, you and I will actually get to know God. Some of you already know him. So what's our goal? Our goal, if you already know God, our goal is to know him better. Remember what I said to you about my younger brother who challenged me to hike Half Dome with him? Can I tell you, yes, I'm looking forward to the vistas of Half Dome, and I'm looking forward, frankly, to being able to say, I did that, okay? (laughs) But you know what I'm looking forward most of all to? My younger brother, 17 years younger than I am, he was two and a half when I left my home of origin. So we never really got to spend much time together. And as soon as I left my home of origin, I moved to the West Coast from Iowa. And he spent the rest of his childhood in Iowa and I was on the West Coast. We've never really gotten to spend much time together. But he's, he's coming down here from Oregon and he and I are going to take that time and we're going to spend that time together. And both of us are very excited about getting to know each other. Do I know my brother? Yeah. But guess what? I want to know him better. Do I know God? Yes. But guess what? I want to know him better. Wow. So that's that's the, the goal of our journey. But I want to give you the flip side of that coin. Because it's important for you to know this. Because when, when, I, when the Bible says, God says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, that sort of thing, that's us seeking after God. But the amazing thing about worship is that God does some seeking of his own. Take a look at this passage. Jesus said to a lady that he was visiting with, the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit And in truth. And then notice what he said. The Father is what? I want you to underline that phrase. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. So this morning when I say to you, we are on a spiritual journey that we might get to know God better. I want you to know that God's on the journey too. Can you see that? And God is looking for us. So tomorrow morning when you pick up your daily devotional and you begin to read about God's presence, I want you to understand that just as much as you are seeking after God, that God is also seeking after you. Because it's His desire that His relationship with you will be even deeper than it is right now. Would you pray with me? Father, As we embark on this journey, it's our deep desire to draw near to you. Nearer than we've ever been before and doing it more often than we ever have before. With one goal and one purpose in mind. And that is that we might not just know about you, but that we might know you. That we might experience what friendship with you is like. That we might know what it feels like to get up on a Monday morning and to look in the mirror and to know that God is 
the friend of the person we see there. That we might get up excited each day to know that we are going through that day with our friend, our Father, our Creator. So God, bless us to that end, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you believe that? Yeah? Boy, you sound real strong about that. You believe that? Yes. Yes. All right. It's going to be a great journey. Now, in order to take this journey well, we have to kind of understand what worship is. So I'm going to give you, uh, well, an interesting thing. You and I read the Bible in English. Virtually all of us in this room read the Bible in English. It wasn't originally written in English. Most of the Bible was written in primarily two languages. Most of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Most of the New Testament was written in Greek. So when you and I pick up an English Bible, we're actually reading a translation of of what was originally written in the Bible. And when you translate from one language to another, well, certain things just don't translate exactly as they were in the original language. And most people are surprised to know that no less than six different words in Hebrew and Greek are translated into the one English word, worship. So this morning, I'm not going to bore you with what the Hebrew and Greek words are, but I do want to peruse for a little bit what those six words are, because each one has a special connotation and a special perspective on worship that would be good for us. So let's take a look at the six words in the Bible that are translated into the word worship. The first is a word that simply means to bow down. The idea behind bowing down is the fact that we recognize that we are in the presence of someone of superior rank. Okay, It's why it's customary for people to bow in the presence of a monarch. Whether king or queen or whatever, it's customary for people to bow in their presence because you recognize that you're in the presence of someone of superior rank. Well, if you take that concept and you take it to the highest level, you recognize that when a human being recognizes that they are in the presence of an almighty God, what do you think the human being should do? Good idea to bow, don't you think? It is the idea behind when you and I get ready to pray, we are coming before God, and so it's customary when we pray to do what? To bow our heads. Can I tell you, God will cast you into hell if you don't? I didn't say that, okay? But is it a good idea? I think it's a wonderful gesture of respect and reverence for God whose position is far superior to ours. And so out of respect for Him, the idea is that we would bow. But it's not just bowing the head, it's also bowing the knee. Yeah, because it's also customary at times to put a knee all the way to the ground in front of a monarch. And so it also is customary to put a knee all the way to the ground in the presence of God. And there are times when we pray and there are times when we sing and when we worship. And when you come here uh, on Sunday evening, October the 11th, I know in the audience there will be times when many Maybe most, maybe all of us will be bowing even as we sing or as we pray all the way to the ground, kneeling to the ground. Why? Because we're in the presence of one of superior rank. Now you see this. Take a look in Exodus chapter 4. 
In this story, God has appeared to Moses in that famous story of the burning bush. And, and, and God says to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to tell my people that I'm going to lead them out of slavery and into the promised land. And God gave Moses the ability to do a couple of miracles. And Moses goes back to Egypt and gathers together the leaders of the nation of Israel and said, guess what? God has a great plan for the nation. We've been in slavery for 430 years now. And God says, enough is enough. And he's ready to take us out. And he's ready to take us into the promised land. And believe it or not, God sent me to do that. And they said, yeah, you and whose army? And Moses took those two miracles that God gave him and, and he performed those miracles in the presence of the leaders of Israel. And the leaders of Israel recognized that they weren't just standing in the presence of Moses, but that Moses had been empowered by God Almighty. And they became aware of God's presence. Now, here's what it says. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they what? They bowed down, that's the word, and worshipped. Wow. What a great concept. So I want to challenge you as you're working your way through the 21 days of worship, there will be times if you're listening to your soul and you're listening to your spirit that God is talking to you and God is saying this would be a good time to offer your prayer, this time not from your couch, but from your knees. I want to encourage you to do that. It's a wonderful form of worship. The second word that's translated as worship is fall down. Now, this does not mean clumsy as in trip and fall, all right? But falling down has with it the idea that there are times when I am so impressed and aware of God's presence that I am overcome by it. Every once in a while... um, We encounter something that's so overwhelming that sometimes people will say, my knees are weak. Right? You get a little weak in the knees, you get a little woozy, you get a little overcome. Well, the idea is that sometimes, and by the way, on the day that Jesus comes again and you and I see him face to face and the whole world sees him face to face and we are for the first time confronted face to face with the awesome and mighty majesty and power of God, I can tell you, you and I will be falling down, okay? Completely overcome by the awesome presence of God. And you can see this in the book of Revelation. John is writing and he says, I heard, and this is a scene in heaven. John says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. And they sang. Did you know fish sing? You just read it. Okay. They sang. I don't know what that sounds like, but someday we're going to know. All right. Blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever and the four living beings. And you'd have to read the book of Revelation to know what they are. Said, Amen. And the 24 elders, those are leaders in heaven, fell down and worshiped the Lamb. This wasn't just a polite bow or a touch of the knee to the ground. It was body to the ground. You know what it means when you do that? You're not only in the presence of someone who's of superior rank. You're in the presence of one 
who is of far superior rank. And the gap between God and people is huge. It's incomprehensible. And the first time that we get confronted with it, really confronted with it, it will take our breath away, as it should. And there are times, even while we are living on this earth, when we become so aware of the presence of God that it literally takes our breath away. And I would encourage you, as you work your way through the 21 days of worship, say, God, would you make me aware of your presence at least once in these 21 days to the point that I'm overwhelmed? It'd be good for your soul, good for your spirit. The third word is this. And, and that's the word kiss toward. Now, kiss toward, by the way, on that previous word, the one fall down, in many of your Bibles, it's the word prostrate. Okay? I purposely didn't put that word in your notes because I didn't think that, I didn't want you to be confused with, you know, some sort of bodily gland. Okay? <laughs> right? And, and plus, I didn't want to have a Freudian slip and say the wrong word. All right? But that, when you, when you pick up the translation of your Bible and it says they fell prostrate before him, that's the word. Now, moving on to kiss toward. This is the word that's most often, especially in the New Testament, translated as worship. And it, and it brings to mind a very common gesture that, that we've all seen people do, and that is when you blow a kiss toward someone. And the gesture is, I am blowing a kiss towards someone that I love. Someone I love to be around. Someone that I enjoy their company. And, and, and it's a wonderful gesture. And, and that is, I guess, maybe above all else, the word picture that God wants us to have. So when we gather in here on a Sunday morning, and, and, and Justin or Mark or Heather, it really makes no difference, one of our worship leaders cranks up the worship band, and we are invited to join in worship. You know what we're doing? In a sense, we're blowing kisses toward heaven. Which is why it's such a great thing for us to become participatory in that. You know, the idea behind worship is not just sort of taking up time till the pastor can come and tell us the truth. The idea behind worship is that you and I might come and convey what's in our hearts to the God who loves us and is saving us to the God who is changing our lives, that we might come and blow our kisses toward heaven. Now, in a story that you and I are all familiar with, it's the Christmas story. And you know that there were some kings from the east who brought, who brought gifts to the newborn king. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now take a look in that story and you'll see this word used. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Now, you got the fell down part. That's the one we just talked about. But and worshipped him could literally be translated, they fell down and they blew their kisses to him. They loved Jesus. 
even though they didn't know him. And so what did they do? When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so that's our challenge this week as we begin 21 days of worship that every day we might blow our kisses to heaven and say, God, I worship you. I love you. I love being with you. Word number four. Is the word to revere. Now, in some of your Bibles, the word for revere has actually been translated into the word fear. Okay? If you, especially if you read one of the older translations, the King James translation, it oftentimes talks about the fear of the Lord. And that gets confusing in the English language because we don't know whether the fear of the Lord means to revere the Lord or to shake and tremble in the corner, uh, hoping that He doesn't uh, do something terrible to us. Well, the concept in Scripture is this concept of having great respect or reverence for the Lord. For instance, Paul writes to the people in Philippi and says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God, here's the phrase, with deep reverence and fear. That's actually a form of worship with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And in order to help us understand this, I want to resurrect a, an illustration I used maybe a year and a half ago or so. Um, and it comes out of my wood shop. Uh, the central tool in my wood shop is a table saw. It's, uh, I, I don't know, it's got maybe two horsepower motor. It has a 10-inch blade with 80 carbide teeth on it. And it is irrespective of what it cuts. Whatever you feed it, it will cut, including fingers and hands, right? So, do I love my table saw or do I fear it? The answer is yes. Okay? I can't imagine working on any project in my wood shop. I can't imagine building furniture. I can't imagine building anything without using the table saw. I love that table saw. I have it tuned. I have it tuned down to the thousandths of an inch. The, 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 you know, the fence is tuned to the blade and the blade is tuned to the table and, and, and it's sharp and it will cut, it will, it will cut through the hardest woods just like butter. It's a joy to work with. It's fun to work with. But I never, ever, ever forget that if I'm not careful, it can do tremendous damage. It can kick wood faster than you can duck if you run the wood in the wrong way. If you pinch the board between the blade and the fence, It'll kick that piece of wood back in your direction so fast. And if you get hit by that, you'll know it. Or maybe you won't. I don't know. Depends upon where it hits you. Yeah. And if you get your finger too close to the blade, it doesn't just nick it. And if you've got long sleeves and it gets caught in the blade, ah, you know, so many things you have to be aware of. Now, listen to me. When you come to understand the power of an almighty God who has the ability to do things in your life you could never do for yourself. 
God has the ability to break habits in your life you can't break on your own. God has the ability to bring healing in your life you can't ever experience on your own. God has the ability to do all sorts of things in your life. You really need God in your life. But don't ever get overly casual with God. And think, I know God doesn't want me to do this, but trust me, it's no big deal. He forgives. Oh yes, God forgives. But don't for a minute think that you can get casual with your behavior and there's no consequences for that casualness or carelessness. That's why the word is variously translated revere and fear. Because both elements are in there. So we've been called to reverence or deep reverence or fear God. And that's all a part of worshiping Him. Let's go to word number five. Word number five is to serve the Lord. Wow. You know what I wrote in my notes? Here it is. No service, no worship. There's no such thing as worship without service. It's just like, I might write a hundred notes to my wife and say, Monica, I love you, but I will not help you. You're on your own. How do you think that's going to work? Well, not if you know Monica, right? (laughs) Actually, not if you know any woman. That's just never going to work. And vice versa. A wife could write to her husband, I love you, but you're on your own. I'm not cooking. I'm not doing dishes. I'm not doing anything. I'm not working in the yard. I'm not going to wash the car. Forget it. I'm not taking you on a date. I mean, you know, love you, but I have no desire to be with you, and I certainly won't help you. Nobody's going to accept that. Because we all know no service, no what? No worship. And, And so, look at this. In the life of Jesus... When he's being tempted by Satan, and Satan says, all you have to do is fall down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And look at Jesus' response. Jesus said, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God, and what? Serve only him. Wow. Inseparably tied together. And principle number six is this. It's the word glorify. Wow. Now this word glorify, it it has a root word called glory. And glorify and glory have in their initial root two things. The first is the concept that means uh, to pass the test. It actually has the same root as the word test if you look in the original Greek language. So if something's going to be glorified, it means that we submit it to the test. And if it passes the test, it's glorified. And if it fails the test, it's not glorified. But it also has a second concept. And that is not only when something passes the test, does it pass the test, but we render an opinion that it has passed the test. Now, I'll take you to a common TV show and you'll understand how this works. Okay? American Idol, okay? Every contestant is put to the test over and over again, right? And they do their very best to pass the test, and then the judges and the American public decide whether they have actually passed the test. And if we decide that they have passed the test, we render an opinion by what? By voting. 
And if they get enough votes, then they are glorified and considered able to continue. And if not, we send them home and say thank you. It's a real simple concept. So you know in worship what we declare? That God, you have passed my test. And I am here to render my opinion in a public way before anyone who is near that God, you have passed my test and I consider you worthy to be my God. It's a pretty cool thing. Now when you put all six of those together, you get the idea of worship. And, and, and I want to close with just a couple of things. Number one, I want you to know that you were created to worship God. What was the last song that, that we sang? I was created to worship you. And here's what I want you to understand, okay? Virtually all of you have in somewhere in your house a screwdriver. You all know what a screwdriver is. A screwdriver is made to do what? drive screws. You got it? Okay? But the amazing thing about the screwdriver in most American households is it gets used more often not to drive screws. Okay? It gets used as a pry bar, right? And you're wedging it in between something, you're you're reefing on that thing and so forth. And then it gets used as a chisel, right? Because, well, it's kind of shaped like a chisel. It tends to chew up the wood and beat up the wood and doesn't work very well. And then we use it for other things too. Like if, if there's, if there's a little, um, something that gets spilled on a hard substance, like it might be thin set, maybe from doing a, a, a grout job or a tile job or a little blob of concrete that fell when we were doing some other thing. And we think, I don't want that there. So we get our screwdriver out. We start banging on it, trying to chip that thing out, right? And when we get done with our screwdriver, the shaft is bent and the blade is chipped. Guess what? It's a pitiful screwdriver now. Why? Because we've used it for everything but its intended purpose. It probably didn't do a very good job of what we were trying to do with it. And now that we're done with it, it doesn't even do a good job of what it was designed to do. Now I want you to take that principle... And just look in the mirror and see it. When we come to understand that we were put on this earth to worship God, and that's our basic function and our basic purpose, but somehow we don't get around to that, or we don't do it very well, or we do all sorts of other things with our lives, we are the proverbial human screwdriver that's trying to be a chisel or a pry bar. And we don't do a very good job of those other things. And in the meantime, we end up destroying our own lives. I want to read to you one of my favorite verses. The Bible says, Paul was preaching, he says, From one man God made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they lived. Now, here's what I want you to underline. God did this so that men would what? Seek Him, perhaps reach out for Him, and what? Find Him, though He's not very far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. And let me read you one more passage of Scripture, which is also one of my favorites as well. 
The writer of Psalm says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God, and the skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a symbol or a word, and their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to all the world. If I was created to worship God, and it's really what makes me tick, and it's really what I do best... Why is it so easy to neglect? Well, the answer is this. God's put signposts in our life. But the problem is, sometimes they're missing, and sometimes they're pointed the wrong direction. Have you ever tried to find a house or something at nighttime, and you're driving down the street, and the, and, and the street signs, my wife and I were doing just, just the other day. And there's a place in our town where every street sign is covered by a tree. Golly, that was frustrating. And you couldn't tell what the street was till you were past it. Yeah, I don't know who that made sense to, to put a tree right over a street sign. But uh, it obviously didn't work very well. And then we've probably all had the instance where we're in a strange town, we're following directions, and some prankster has gone and turned all the signs 90 degrees, right? And, and, and now we, we think we're on a street we're not even on. And, and it gets confusing, right? Well, guess what? Now, it's very clear that the Bible says that creation is a signpost. It's designed to point us where? The heavens proclaim what? God's glory. It's made to point us to God. In fact, let me read you one more as as we close. Here in Acts chapter 14, I believe. We are here to announce the good news to turn you away from these worthless things, whatever that might be, to a living God who made heaven, earth, sea, and all that is in them. He has always given evidence of His existence. There's the signpost. And how? By doing good things, he does. What are they? Well, he gives you rain from heaven and crops at the right time and gives you food and fills your hearts with happiness. And the list goes on and on. Now, what I want you to see in our world is the signposts are there. But you know, if you're driving fast enough and you're not paying attention, do the signposts even register? And it's possible to go through life and miss every signpost because either you're just not paying attention or you're going so fast you have no time to give thought to the signposts. But it's also quite possible that the signposts have been twisted. And the heavens that should declare the glory of God, the vastness of space that should teach you about the the unlimited power of God to create something like that, In our world, we've been taught that's just somehow an amazing coincidence of atoms out there in space and and it all kind of coagulated into the planets and the stars and by golly, we don't know how that happened, but aren't we lucky they all work? And the signposts get twisted. Can I tell you this morning that God wants to straighten them out and to say, if you look at creation... It will point you to me. And when you look at me and you find me, now you're ready to live as you were designed to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the amazing privilege of worship. 
as we embark on this journey, we do so. Believing and knowing that we will get to know you. Would you reveal yourself to us in the process, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.